we make that buzzing? Stop. Can you do that? Can I do that? It's right here. Thanks. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 24. A couple of things. I want to invite you all to this um, Sunday night service that we have. Perfect. Thanks. Um, it's from 5 to 7. It's really quirky. You know how you can't, if you see a traffic accident, you can't not look at it? That's kind of how this service is for me. Every time we meet, I think, what is it going to work? And it always does. And so I want to encourage you all, if you haven't tried it, to try it. It's way different from what we do on Sunday morning. Tonight we're going to spend a little extra time in worship and prayer for some of the things that are going on in our community. You can sign up with Kim if you need child care. And if you come, bring food because we eat. Not like a sack lunch. Bring food for everybody, like a potluck. And um, we'll eat after we uh, worship and pray and we do a little prayer walk and all those kinds of things. Uh, also, just to clarify, on that video, was that a cow tongue? That... It's good. It's good. That's, uh, that's reason number 32 why I'm not a youth pastor, right there. They were, hit, they were playing tag with cow tongue. It's quality. That's how they respond to God at youth camp. No, they had a great time, and we appreciate, Dave, and all of our, those of you who went, all of you adults for going, and also all of you parents for trusting your kids with us for the week. All the kids I've talked to had a great time, and we appreciate all that of you who sent kids and all of you who served. I see some of y'all who were counselors and worked all week. That's a big deal to give up a week of work, to take a week of vacation to go and do that. And uh, we really do appreciate the investment that y'all have made in our children. Uh, before we jump into Genesis 24, uh, I did want to share just real briefly, many of you have continued to ask just how to love on Ross and Leanna right now. I would say micro level, very close, it's the same stuff. Legally, all of that's out of our hands. We're just praying for, tra- for truth and for mercy and for justice. Those are attributes of God and we're just praying, continuing to pray through this whole legal process that those three things would be evident that's God's character and you can pray confidently for truth and for justice and for mercy and I would say relationally just looking for opportunities to love them whatever that looks like obviously praying for them and if there are other ways that you feel led to love them then you can run that through us and we'll look for opportunities to to do that so that on the micro level that's we're doing the same thing that we've been doing for three weeks then macro level and it really has very little to do with them per se, but we have these circumstances that are out here that are tragic and devastating in so many ways, and the enemy wants to use those circumstances to steal and kill and destroy, and God, we don't know how, but God can use those circumstances to accomplish good. That's what he says he does in Romans 8.28, and so we want to make a choice to stand on the side with God and say, these circumstances are awful and devastating, but we're somehow in faith going to say, you can use these to accomplish good. And, we're not, and we want to stand against the way the enemy wants to use those circumstances. I'm talking about in our community to steal and kill and destroy. So we just in faith and hope continue. Again, I don't see how we get from here to there. But in faith and hope, that's where we're standing and continuing to believe for God to do that. So uh, just continue to pray for that family as things unfold for them. Genesis 24, this is the longest chapter in Genesis. So lucky y'all. Uh, we're going to go through all of it. 
And so we're going to move pretty quick, and I'm going to look at, we'll look at sections at a time. This is, uh, last week we looked at Abraham and Sarah's death, and this is the last thing Abraham really does before he dies. Many people think he was on his deathbed when he did this. It's his last act of faith in response to these promises that God gave him about land and a people. So the la- this is the last thing he does. So starting in chapter 24, verse 1, Abraham was now very old. The Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Never repeat that. Never ask anyone to do that for you. Thankfully, that is a practice that has long since fallen into disuse. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife from my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the, um, if the woman's unwilling to come back, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only don't take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So again, very old. Sarah's dead. He's at least 140, maybe on his deathbed, recognizes these promises that God has given me about land and a people require more than one generation. He has one son, Isaac, through whom God has said his promises will be reckoned. If Isaac doesn't get married, then there's no, there's no children. Everything comes to a crashing halt. So he sends his trusted servant and says, I need you to go back home and get a wife for Isaac. There's a couple of things he's trying to avoid. One is the danger of Isaac being childless. Another is he doesn't want Isaac to marry any of the local women. All of those people, the Canaanites, are the ones God says, I'm going to drive all of them out. Those aren't my folks, and I'm going to drive all of them out. So Abraham doesn't want an, a mixed marriage, religiously, with any Canaanite women. He also doesn't want Isaac himself going home, because what if he winds up staying? So the key is Isaac has to stay in Canaan, but he needs a woman from back home. So he sends the servant to go do that. Starting in verse 10. This will be the key section for us. We'll come back to this. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Ar- for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. Before he'd finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful. A virgin, no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. 
So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold, ring, a gold nose ring wearing a becca and two gold bracelets wearing, weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of that milk aboard in Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. And the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as, he'd seen, as, soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for your camels. So we're, again, we're going to come back to this. This will be the key section for us. What I want you to see, just briefly for the sake of clarity, I don't, we don't have camels, and so we may miss a little bit there. It was a huge thing for her to say, I'm going to water your camels. A camel drinks 20 to 30 gallons at a shot, so take it in half. Let's say 25. 10 camels times 25, that's 250 gallons. Average size pitcher is 3 gallons. So that's about 83, 84 trips she's making from this well with that pitcher filling this trough. She's not just cutting on the hose and letting the thing fill up. Probably each trip is 30 to 40 pounds. Water weighs about 8 pounds a gallon, so you've got um, 3 gallons plus the weight of the pitcher. Takes her a minute and a half round trip, trough, well, fill up, trough, dump back. You're looking at a couple of hours of work couple of hours for a complete stranger. She didn't know this was some kind of test or sign or anything. It's just who she is. She was hospitable and offering this servant a drink, and then she's incredibly kind and generous, saying, I'll take care of all of your animals as well. So you just keep that in mind. This was a, a big thing for her to do. It wasn't a small thing for her to offer to water his camels. Now, she goes home. We'll pick up in verse 32. This is a, basically a retelling of everything that we just read from the perspective of the servant. His goal, this, sorry, ladies, he's negotiating to get Rebecca to come. I and mean, that's what he's doing at this point. She doesn't really have a say in the matter. It was the responsibility of older brothers and fathers to negotiate on behalf of their daughter's sister for their marriage. And so that's what we're about to read. Uh, it looks like Rebecca's father had multiple wives. It says she went to her mother's household, not to her father's. And so most likely that's why her older brother Laban takes the lead instead of her dad. You'll see her dad a little bit, but it's really her older brother Laban who's taking the lead in the negotiations. And all of this is culturally acceptable at the time. It's, not, it's all culturally acceptable. So the man went to the house. The camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were, bought, were brought for the camels water for him and his men to wash their feet. The food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. And here he begins kind of his, his side of the negotiations. I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He's become wealthy. He's given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he, was given, and he has given him everything he owns. 
My master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if she won't come back with me? He said, The Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my own family. You will be released from my oath if when you go to my clan they refuse to give her to you. Then you'll be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says, drink, and I'll water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arm. I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. So, grandniece. That's who's getting married. Abraham's grandniece. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother, Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so. Then you may go. But he said, Don't detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the young woman and ask her. So they called Rebekah and said, Will you go with this man? I will go. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. So again, that's a negotiation for her. Um, It's agreed to. If you notice the way the servant framed everything, very, very smart, very good way of doing it. He starts by establishing relationship. I'm Abraham's servant. Abraham was connected to their family. He had left 60-some years before. They would have known his name, so he's establishing familiarity there. And then he says, and by the way, Abraham is loaded. And so if, if you say yes, know what Rebecca's getting. She's going to be well taken care of. And also, you're going to get some money out of this as well. If you remember when we looked back, when we were reading it, when it says when Laban saw the gold, nose ring she had, and the bracelets on her arms, he ran to her. He knew there's some money involved in this. We'll see a little bit more about Laban's character as we press into the story, but there's something to be said there. Hey, father, older brother, she's going to be well taken care of. Abraham's rich. He only has one son, and he's going to get it all. And he says, by the way, y'all remember when Abraham left, he was 75, and he didn't have a kid. You may be thinking his son is old enough to be Rebecca's granddad. Don't worry. Sarah had a kid in her old age. He's still marryable, not too old for Rebecca. So they're saying, here's what she would be entering into. And then he finishes by saying, and God is in this. 
this is how we know. I put this sign out there, this, and I didn't say anything. What does he say? I prayed this in my heart. It was, Rebecca didn't overhear. I prayed this in my heart, and before I'd even gotten done praying, she comes up and she did exactly what I'd asked God for her to do. And so that confirmed for me that God was in this, and you see the response of Laban and her dad. Absolutely. Nobody can say anything against this. She's yours. Now, the next day, they say, let her stay for 10 days, because once she leaves, she's gone. Makes total sense that they would say, let her stay. But they put it to Rebecca, and just like Abraham, when God called Abraham in chapter 12, he says, I want you to pack up and go. He says, absolutely. Same thing for Rebecca. Do you want to leave? And she recognizes God's hands on on this marriage, and so she leaves. Uh, We'll wrap up with this. We'll spend more time looking at Isaac and Rebecca in the next couple of weeks, but to round out the chapter. This, if you're a romance person, you can cue the music here for this little part. Now, Isaac had been from Beer Lahay Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca was also looked up and saw Isaac. There's your money shot. They both make eye contact. She got down from the camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married her. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after her mother's death. Roll the credits at that point. Everybody's happy. You're tearing up because I don't see romance in this, but surprise, surprise. But a lot of people do. If you're a, there's only one for me, if that's your thing, there's only one person for me, this is where you can, you can hang your hat on this story. You can't really hang it anywhere else in the Bible, but you can hang it on this. Absolutely. This is your go-to passage. But there's only one, and God will bring you together, and you'll look, make eye contact across the field, and you'll know, and she'll know, and then it's all wonderful. So we'll look some more. That sounded cynical, didn't it? I'm sorry. We'll... Uh, We'll look some more at Isaac and Rebecca moving forward. This is what I want for us. We don't live in a culture of arranged marriages, so there's not a lot in that for us. You may make a living negotiating. There might be something you can learn from the servant about how to present your case. But that middle section where they meet at the well, I do think there's some things in there for us. Both the servant and Rebecca were in a position for God to move them from where they were to the next thing in their life. Both the servant and Rebecca were in a position to be moved, but their postures were very different. Their posture before the Lord and their posture before their circumstances were very different, although both of them were in a position to be moved. And I think all of us are in one of these, you're in one of these two categories this morning, I hope. You're in one of these two categories where you're ready for God to move you from one thing to the next. It may just be that your posture before Him is different. So we'll look at the servant first. There's the most, maybe for us to grab on to with the servant. The servant's posture was he was actively looking for a specific answer to a specific question. Actively looking for a specific answer to a specific question. If that's you this morning, I'm going to give you a few things for you to think through. First, there's some initial questions, which is, one is, what are you asking for? For the servant, it's, who's, who's the girl? Who is Isaac supposed to marry? That's the first question. You've got to be able to give me the note card. What is it that specifically you are asking for? Second question, what are the criteria for you to know it's an acceptable answer? If you need a specific answer, what are the criteria around that? For the servant, he knew, well, it's got to be a woman from Abraham's family. That was a specific 
criteria for him. Your criteria may be determined externally. It was for the servant. Abraham said, this is what I want. The servant can't freelance. He can't say, well, I saw this girl and she looked great. She wasn't from the family, but she's got all these things that I thought. He didn't have any discretion. Find a woman from my family. Externally driven circumstances. And that may be where you are. You may be needing a specific answer to a specific question, and the criteria are being determined by somebody other than you. They may be determined by God. You may feel like God has said, hey, this is the thing for you. You're single and you want to be married, and you feel like God's called you to the nations, and so you need to marry somebody who's not afraid to get on an airplane. That's an externally driven circumstance. That's not you saying, I want a girl who likes to travel. That's God saying, your life is going to be on the road. And you need somebody who's good with that and who's willing to do that. This is totally not romantic. When I was in college, towards the end of my junior year, I realized I was going to go to seminary. It wasn't necessarily anything I'd prepared for, but I felt like this was what I'm going to do. And Misty and I just started dating. And in my mind, I had three things I was looking for and somebody I would marry. And number three, and this is kind of mercenary, is somebody who would put me through school. That's what I wanted. Somebody who would work crummy jobs for three years and send all of the money to this to Asbury Seminary. Seminary is really, I work too, but there's no way I could make enough to put myself through. We didn't want to come out with debt because it's hard to pay off those kind of student loans. And so I was looking, that was my watering the camels thing. Not easy. She worked crummy jobs for three years in order to put me through school, but it showed a lot about her heart. She was saying, hey, I believe in you, I believe in what you're called to, I'm willing to partner with you in this. And it's the same thing with Rebecca. It wasn't just she watered the camels. It showed something about her heart. She's hospitable. She's kind. She's generous. She's hardworking. All of those things. They may, you may have externally driven criteria, and that's okay. Or they may just be internal. Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. There may be some things that are just important to you internally. It's when Missy and I were moving from Wilmore back to Georgia, or when we were about to graduate and I was trying to figure out where am I going to work, for both of us it was important that we be able to get home for the weekend. It wasn't anything God said to us. It was just important to us that we could get to my family's or her family's over the weekend. I live in Marietta. My family's in Marietta. Her family's in Blakely, three and a half hours south. We figured, all right, four hours. That's what we'll give ourselves. So we looked at Marietta. And we drew a circle. This is when you still had maps. We drew a four-hour circle around Marietta. We drew a four-hour circle around Blakely and the places where they overlap. That's where we were looking for jobs. It wasn't super spiritual. It was just something that was an internal constraint for us when it came to where do we go next. And those things are fine. You can't have 72 deal breakers. You can have three or four. And so what are the things for you that determine, hey, this, this, is, a, this is an answer. This is something I'm willing to go with. So you've got to ask those two questions. What, what am, what's on the index card? What are you asking for? What is an acceptable answer to that? Second thing, you put yourself in a position for God to answer the prayer. That's what the servant did. He knew he needed a woman from Abraham's family, so he goes to the town where Abraham's brother lives because you're going to run into family members there. And he needs a woman, and he knows it's a woman's job to draw water, so he goes to the well, and he goes at night or in the evening because that's when they're there. He puts himself in a position to meet a woman. Like not, He knows when the lake's going to be stopped, and that's where he goes. He's giving God an opportunity to answer this very specific prayer of his. And the same thing is true for us. We need to give him opportunities. This is where some of us fall down on the job. We're fine with 
this is what I want, and we're fine saying this is exactly what I want, but when it comes time to actually engage with God, kind of do our part in this, and say, all right, God, I'm going to give you a chance, we don't do it. If you want to marry a bulldog, then don't go to Georgia Tech. Put yourself in a position to meet someone who's going to actually be the person you want to meet. If you have $10,000 to spend on a car, you're asking God for a car, don't go to the Lexus dealership. They're going to give you two tires and send you on your way. It doesn't. You've got to put yourself in a position for God to actually answer the prayer. It's not works, it's faith. God, I'm trusting you to meet me in this, and so I'm going to put myself in a spot where you can actually do that, just like the servant did. Third thing that you see, he asked God to get involved. I've told you all before, I do not like signs at all. When it comes to being led, I don't want signs to lead us because they're too easy to misinterpret. However, if you use them the way the servant does, I'm all for it. He's using the sign to confirm that God is in something, which I like. So he gives a very specific sign. I want a girl who's going to, if I ask her for water, she's going to say, I'll give you some and I'll water your camels. That's something that reveals her heart, that would let him know, hey, she's the kind of girl for Isaac. And so you ask God to get involved. When we did our second renovation, we weren't sure, is this the right thing, is this not the right thing? So just the leadership team, we did not make this public. We need 80 6000 is what it was. We need $86,000 committed. And then we'll know this is what God wants us to do. And so one Sunday we just said, hey, what can you commit? Nobody knew what our number was, and $86,400 was committed. And so for us, because we hadn't publicized that, it was just us, it confirmed for us as leadership team, hey, God's in this, we can move forward. You can't say, God, what I'm looking for is a rainbow-colored unicorn to walk across my... No, no, that has nothing to do with anything. It's not picking the, the most ridiculous, outlandish sign that you can for God, to show that God's truly in something. To me, it's, it's good if it ties in. If you're looking for, if you're single and you're looking to get married, have a sign, if you need one, that ties into the character of the type of person you want to marry. If you're looking, God, I'm not sure if you want me to take this job then have a sign, well, I want the boss to call me this week. I'm not going to reach out to him. I'll know that you're in this if they reach out to me and they make me an offer that will cover our needs. That's how I know you're in this. Those types of things, they're good, I think, because they can confirm, hey, God is in this. You saw the, the response it provoked in Laban, in, in Bethuel. Now, you think about that. So there are these two guys... And this stranger comes up to them and says, hey, I want to take your daughter back to this guy who you're never going to meet. That's what happened. That's why the servant said, what if she doesn't come? Who, who sends their kid off on that? Someone knocks on your door and says, hey, I want your daughter to come with me. You'll never see her again, but I promise the guy she's going to marry, he's good. But they've got this sign. This is what we want. I asked God to do this, and he did. And they go, well... Well, okay. God's in that. That's what a confirming sign can do for you. Ask for God to get involved. And last, you've got to respond. Recognize and respond uh, to God's activity. And you see that with the servant. Before he had finished praying, he sees Rebecca. I don't know what kind of connection he made there, but he immediately goes up to her, asks the question, and then she responds, and it says what? He just sat there and watched. Think about that. He watched her for two hours 
watering his camels. He just wanted to see, is, is she the one? Is she, is she going to finish? Is she going to offer and not follow through? Is she going to gripe? Is she going to grumble? Is she going to complain? He's, that's, a, that's kind of a test period. She doesn't know that, but for him, he's, he's responding, recognizing and responding to God's activity. And when she does, when she kind of fulfills the sign, he says, hey, tell me your family tree. Another check mark, right family tree. Hey, can, take me home and let's work this out. He's quick to respond to her. General prayers get general answers. Rarely are we devastated when general answers don't happen for us. Specific prayers get specific answers. Often we're devastated when specific prayers aren't answered. I think of, of Dave and Liz specifically, four years. This is what we want a kid. That's a very specific prayer. You're putting yourself out there. This is what I want. I don't want to, she's, it's fine, but she's not saying, I don't want to be a spiritual mom. I want to be a biological mom. I want to have a kid. And she puts it out there. Very specific prayer, which sets them up for disappointment for 48 months when that doesn't happen. It can be very devastating. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So many of us step back from specific prayers because then we put ourselves out there to, act, to get a specific answer. And if God doesn't answer the way we want or as quickly as we want, it causes a lot of problems for us. It's safer for us just to pray general prayers. Oh, God bless and those types of things. My encouragement to you, if you're feeling restless in some area of your life, that's probably a sign that God is stirring you to move to the next thing. And in that area where you're feeling restless, drill down enough to ask a specific question. This is what I want. If you're feeling restless in your career, well, what do you want? What do you want? And let's ask. And what will it look like? What's acceptable for you? If you need $50,000 a year to cover your expenses, then don't apply at Cool Beans. It's not going to work. What do you need? What's acceptable? What does it look like for you to put yourself in a position for God to answer that prayer? It's not putting a gun to God's head. It's saying, I'm putting myself in a position for him to answer this prayer. I'm asking him to get involved. These are the, this is how I'll know you're at work, God. And then I'm going to be willing to respond. The servant didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't know if she was from the right... He, he didn't know if she was going to say, I'll water your camels. After that, he didn't know if she was from the right family. And after that, he didn't know if her brother and father were going to release her. He didn't know any of that. But he continued the process. We'll just see what God... And you notice after every point, he worships the Lord because he recognizes God's in it. Many of you are in that boat. There's an area of your life. Maybe it's you're single and, you're, and, you, and you want to be married. Maybe it's something with your job. It might be, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with where you're living. But there's something specific. So let's get specific in our answers. Real briefly, we'll look at Rebecca. She's going to get the short end of the stick from us. She is not seeking anything. She's just actively being Rebecca. The servant is actively pursuing a specific answer, and Rebecca's just actively being Rebecca. She doesn't know that she's being evaluated. She doesn't know anything that's going on. Her job is to get water, so she's getting water. She's a hospitable person, so she offers this guy a drink, this stranger a drink. And she's kind and generous beyond that, so she offers to take care of his camels. It's just who she is. She's doing the things that are in front of her from her heart. And for some of you, if you're honest, you just say, I'm content. I'm content in every area of my life. And I would say then be content. And you actively be who you are in those places where God 
has planted you. If you look through the Bible, often God kind of plucks people out. He does it with David. He's just minding his own business, being a shepherd. Hey, I'm going to make you the king. You don't have to always raise your hand and say, pick me, pick me, pick me. God knows where you are, and when he needs you, he can get you. If you're willing to be moved, and we see that from Rebecca. They say, will you go? And she says, yes, think about that. Some of us think blind date. This is blind marriage. Never seen this guy before. Never going to see her family again. Absolutely, I'm in. Let's go right now. I don't even want a week and a half with my family. Let's go. She's in a, her heart says, yes, God can move me into the next thing, but she's not actively pursuing anything. Culturally, she can't pursue a husband, not her responsibility, but she's just being who she is, and that might be where you are today. You may be content relationally, content in your career, content in your family, content financially. You may be content emotionally in all of these different ways. Then be that. Be content. Be who you are in the places where God has planted you. Do the things that he's put in front of you responsibly, out of your heart, as long as you've got that thing in you that says, if he, if he calls on me, I'm ready to go. That's what Rebecca had. He called and she was ready to go. And that's really just a heart posture that says, I'm not, not pursuing anything right now, but I'm open to where the Lord may want to redirect my steps. Let's pray and we'll wrap up. If you're on the ministry team, if you'd come forward. We'll close with this one song. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. We'll pray, with, uh, pray for you about anything you've got going on. Let me pray for us as a group. God, we do thank you. Uh, you're, you're always you're moving us around. God, we thank you for the times where we can just be content and it's, it's just good. And God, for the Rebecca's in the room, I pray that they wouldn't feel that they're being complacent or that they're not pursuing you, or that they're less than, none of that, God. They're just, even now, I pray that they would sense you in their heart saying, you're good. You don't need to be seeking me about any specific change right now. You're good. Just enjoy where you are. Work at what I'm giving you. Do it from this place of who you really are, and just enjoy it. But God, I also know there are servants in this room, people just like that, who... There's a restlessness in them. I think of the urgency of the servant. He wouldn't even eat until he had shared. For some people, that's where they are. They're consumed with this restlessness, this sense that there's got to there's be a change in a specific area. My prayer is that in the next three minutes that you would bring revelation and clarity into that area. I pray nobody would leave here confused, and I pray nobody would leave hopeless, and nobody would leave kind of feeling forsaken or forgotten you would speak into our hearts over these next couple of minutes and let us know what's it look like what are the criteria what's it look like for us to put ourselves in a position for you to respond I pray for those who've been burned by doing that in the past that you heal their hearts and they would not proceed out of fear but faith trusting hey I'm going to continue to give God a chance to answer this prayer show them what it looks like to get you involved if there's signs that they need to ask for and God, where, the places where you're already at work, show us where those are and how to cooperate with you. We all want to be positioned in every area of our life in the spot where you want us today. So in the places where we're misaligned, I pray that you'd show us what it looks like to get there. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand and we'll close with this one.